0: On this
1: December 30th edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, I'm Dean Linke, wishing each and every one of you a happy new year and a very successful 2022. As part of this last edition of 2021, six amazing guests. We kick off the show with Kimberly Crab, the National Youth Coach of the Year, who will be recognized at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Kansas City Kimberly Crabb, who was part of that George Mason National Championship team in 1985 and was the first African-American player to ever wear the U.S. National Team jersey for the full women's national team under Anson Dorrance. She'll kick off the show. Then we've got the countdown to convention with Minot State women's soccer coach Chris Clements who will have a great presentation at this year's convention. Then we meet three more national championship coaches, these three from the junior college level. We meet Mike Brown, who won it for the Iowa Western Men for D1 Men, and then Scott Carswell, who won it for Eastern Florida State at junior college D1 Women. Then we meet Norman Ramos-Frankel, heartland community college who wanted at junior college d two women and we wrap up with another great member of our 30 under 30 class nicole paccapelli who's an assistant coach at binghamton for their fine women's soccer team Six great people, six great coaches, and a great way to cap an incredible year as part of our United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. And it kicks off after this message from the aforementioned presenting sponsor, Team Snap.
0: Does managing your club or league feel like a second job?
1: Back in late November, United Soccer Coach has announced its 2021 Member Club Youth Awards for its Coach of the Year and All-America programs. The 2021 Youth Coach of the Year is Kim Crabb of Wilmington, North Carolina. Crabb serves as the Outreach Program Director of the Wilmington Hammerheads Youth Football Club and is still active coaching youth of all ages. She can personally share soccer and life schools with more than 800 at risk and underserved youth within her community. She loves to coach kids of all ages and they love to play for her. Ironically, Kim is called Crabby. Again, it's pronounced Crab by soccer friends and colleagues alike. Despite her infectious charm and love of the game, the native of Reston, Virginia, Crab played college soccer at George Mason University, where she grew up. In 1985, she led that team to an upset of perennial national powerhouse North Carolina to win the NCAA Division One national championship. She went on to become the first African-American woman to play on the United States women's national team under North Carolina's legendary coach Anson Dorrance. Crabb has received citations and awards too numerous to mention, but she is particularly proud to be a member of the Virginia D.C. Soccer Hall of Fame. In 2018, United Soccer Coaches presented her with their Black Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group Award of Excellence. Today, Kim... We talk about the fact that you are the Youth Club Coach of the Year. That's pretty cool. How are you feeling about that, Kim?
2: Wow. You sit back and you think about all. I'm just listening to all of the notches in the belt, so to speak, or the the big accolades, and and all of those are awesome. And 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 I worked hard for them. But it is just something about this particular award that I'm going to be going to receive and be honored with in Kansas City next month. Being that you work with the grassroots. I don't know. You kind of feel like sometimes you're kind of skipped over. You're not not looked at as an equal, but in reality, you are. You're a coach. You're a mentor. You're you know, you serve as a as a teacher as well within the game and in the sport. It's just something about it being a grassroots coach and leader, continuing to give back to the sport and being acknowledged by your peers for something like this. It's not unimaginable, but its it's definitely leaves me speechless.
1: Yeah, and I love all the barriers you broke down long before, you know, Crystal Dunn was out there running around. I mean, you did it at George Mason, and then obviously you caught Anson's eye. What do you remember about getting that call after you beat North Carolina? Shortly thereafter, Anson calls you and said, hey, I want you to wear the red, white, and blue. It was shortly
2: after, really, because it was the following year. It was in 1986, so... I think, what, November? was in November when we beat them. So you figure by June, you know, you're getting this call for the women's national team. And I think, you know, back then, because I had played at all the elite levels that there were representing the state of Virginia, then going on, it kind of gradually excelled to the regional level. So we would go to... Franklin and Marshall in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and ball out all weekend against everybody on the East Coast, which we had some heavy hitters, you know, from all over from Jersey, from Massachusetts on it to Maryland, you know. So there was a lot of good players and they would choose from that pool of players from the state tournament that we play in that weekend and they would choose a regional team. So we would stay on for another week and train and that was pretty much the highest level at that time. And then you could kind of gradually feel that this national team level is coming. And when it hit, it was probably a peak time within my journey, you know, in the game. And I was probably at the fittest I could be. And, you know, just winning the NCAA championship was kind of already on the map. But I worked hard just like the next man. And uh, it was an honor to be. Acknowledged uh, for the team.
1: When you think about your time at George Mason, how many people looked like you playing soccer? There weren't that many, were there, Kim?
2: There were not that many. Um, I probably could name them all on one hand.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, there just weren't a lot, and it wasn't abnormal as I started playing at these elite levels to not see a lot of that looked like me. So mm-hmm. it didn't deter my game. Of course, I could never deny that I would love to have seen more of us playing but i definitely began to understand some of the barriers that may have been out there and the challenges then and some that we we still kind of face today
1: indeed although you must be pleased with the progress seeing more not just black players but even black coaches you know female and male that's pretty exciting i think kim
2: Oh, it, it just shows how much we've evolved in the sport. And of course, it, it's awesome to sit back and, and see like, you know, I'm a part of a, a couple of different groups. And, a, and today, a, a text came out for a position that's open. So we, it's not even that we're seeing more of us representing, we're making sure that we're representing, you know what I'm saying? So if somebody gets the word that a college is hiring or positioning is coming in the MLS or anything, we put it out there. So we can't say that, that we're not looking out for one of that. We put it out there. If anybody knows a, a recipient that could possibly meet the quota for what they're looking for, then let's get them in these positions. We need, we need to see more of that. Our youth need to see more of that. You know, They need to see more people that look like them mm, um, playing and it takes nothing away from the sport. (laughs) It's just the way it should be. And there's always challenges and barriers that we face along the way. A lot of it being financial. I'm at the grassroots level, so I see the transportation. So many uh, components that have to fit perfectly. You got the base of the puzzle, but the pieces have to all fit before it's really successful for for that individual and seeing a lot of us coaching and just sticking in there is, is setting a precedence for a lot of, of our youth coming up.
1: An honor to talk today with the 2021 youth coach of the year, Kim Crabb of Wilmington, North Carolina, where she serves as the outreach program director of the Wilmington Hammerheads youth football club, and is still active coaching youth of all ages. I'm talking to you from Chapel Hill. So I'm familiar with Wilmington. It is a wonderful city, Can you walk me through, so, you know, you went to George Mason, you played with the national team. I know you're a proud grandma now as well, but can you walk me through the other stops before you got to Wilmington, Kim?
2: Sure. Once I made the national team, of course, I created lots of new friendships with some of the Tar Heels. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided to kind of venture out of Virginia. And work my way down to Chapel Hill for a couple of the big functions, you know, uh, Halloween and, and the NCAA finals were held there many years and mm-hmm. we would go down and it was just one of those towns that kind of grew on you so I did a total of 30, probably 30 years almost in Chapel Hill, my okay. daughter's 30. She was born there, yeah. And we moved back to Virginia for five years. And when I moved back to Virginia, I played in the W League for the Northern Virginia Majestics. And Hank Long, who was my coach at George Mason, just happened to be the coach. And I was working at the time and somebody came in and said, Hey, you know, I think it was one of my old gym teachers from high school. They're starting a professional team. You need to, you need to go out. And I was like, ah man, you know, kind of past that. And then when I called and heard Hank Lung's voice on the answer machine, I had to go out and try out. And I went out clearly not thinking I was gonna make this team amongst all the young players that were out there, but I did. (laughs) The first tryout, he he said after after the tryout, he said, I know a lot of you are probably trying to figure out who this lady is, well, let me tell you. (laughs) So I was kind of the veteran on the team. I was older, I had played when they were very first Speaking of trying to start women's professional, I played on the Greensboro Dynamo. Mm. Um, That consisted of quite a few players down in the Chapel Hill and and from Duke and all of that. And we had a pretty good team. But it was was in the preliminary stages where women's sport coming in up financially. Can we we have it sustain this, that? So it kind of went in and went out. Of course, I kept moving on with life and then back to Northern Virginia for five years here comes the W League years later, you know, so played in that for a year and, and just knew I wanted to continue to give back to the sport. And I had been coaching at various levels since I was in college, coached a team from Springfield, a young girls, and I really enjoyed it. And I, when I was in Northern Virginia, I worked at Flint Hill. So I was the coach there. What better way to give back than to, to coach? So, so yeah, did the Chapel Hill thing and Went back to Northern Virginia for five years, coached at Flint Hill, played with the W League, came back to Chapel Hill, coached in Durham at a middle school, girls and boys at a private school for six years, six or seven years, and then taught at a public charter school. And then decided once my daughter went off to college, I was going to venture down to Wilmington. That's how I came on down, wrote a handwritten resume and handed it to the, the director of the club and And here we are today.
1: (laughs) Well, and, and the Wilmington Hammerheads have a great reputation, you know, not just at the pro level where they had a great run, but as a youth club, it's a nice club, don't you think? Absolutely.
2: I mean, Wilmington is not that large, and we do have several other soccer clubs here, but definitely reigning high on the ranks are the Wilmington Hammerheads Youth FC. And they were Cape Fear Association or Cape Fear Soccer Club when I first got here. So I have seen many directors come and go and I've seen the foundation be laid. And it's an honor to be a part of it. It's definitely something that I can put in in, in my in my story or in my journey that that has been definitely a key. Uh, component to to where I'm going and where I'm where I'm trying to get to now in my vision. I've currently started a nonprofit called Outreach of Cape Fear, which is kind of a spinoff of of the Outreach of at Wilmington, and I'm still currently with them and just trying to figure out the ins and outs because this is new for me. But since I've been the the Outreach Program Director with the Wilmington Hammerheads, I've seen a lot of what is necessary for a grassroots program like this to sustain. And I know I can't do it by myself. So I've got a great team working with me. And again, it's been a, it's been an awesome, awesome component and part of my story. And the Wilmington Hammerheads are awesome and they all continue to be great. They're moving in a direction of the more elite levels of play, ECNLs and the premieres and the national teams and all of that doing very well got some really good coaches because we had the professional team in the area. Um, a lot of the players stuck around. And so we've got some really good quality coaches and, and I'm happy for all the youth that are there, you know, are getting that chance to be coached at, at those levels. A lot of my outreach kids that are excelling and ready to take on and experience the next level, of course, go to the hammerheads and are doing very well. So that's a very pinnacle piece of my story for sure. This new outreach of Cape Fear from being the program director for the the last 10 or 11 years and working very closely with the county and very closely with the city because I go into the schools and organize recess and then I do after schools through the city. So on a good day, minus COVID and the pandemic, I could see a hundred plus kids, (laughs) you know, which is, which is kind of bananas to think about sometimes, but But it's an honor, you know, because I get to see these kids sometimes not just at the school level at a very non-mandatory, very flexible uh, situation playing at recess, organized recess. And then I could see them again at after school. So, you know, you get you get a good 35, 40 minutes, whatever their recess is, and then you see them in after school for an hour and then you see them on Saturday because I offer a city soccer league, that's awesome. So yes, the Wilmington Hammerheads are definitely reigning in Wilmington amongst the clubs. And I just, I give, I take my hat off to all of the clubs out here because they're doing a great job molding these kids and giving them opportunities. And that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. I'm not, I'm never jealous if a kid wants to go play for the YMCA or they want to go play for the Pisas or the Wilmington United or any of them, it doesn't bother me. I want to make sure that everybody is doing what they want to do. If they love the sport like I loved it, I wanted to play it all the time at all different levels, at all hours, (laughs) at every chance that I could. And it's about the kids. And I think all the clubs, and especially the Wilmington Hammerheads, are doing a great job of, of offering that opportunity for any kid who wants to play.
1: A couple more questions for Kim McCrabb, the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Youth Coach of the Year. So we recognize Friday night as part of the big awards banquet. You know, you mentioned outreach and advocacy. I've really been impressed with Nicole Hercules and the job she's done leading the Black Soccer Coaches Adersky Group for United Soccer Coaches. Have you been able to interact with Nicole at all?
2: Oh, absolutely. In fact, we toss a lot of things off of each other. Uh, we speak quite often and she respects my opinion. I respect her opinion. And, and you know, together we know as a unit, we're more powerful and we have a great black coaches group. And she's very intertwined with, with a lot of leaders that are at the top. So any advice that she can give me or I can give her, we accept that in a, in a very respectful and honorable way and implemented it within our programs. Because again, we we both understand that it's about the, the child, about the youth or the participant. And that's what keeps us focused in, in our drive and our passion as such, you know, because we know at the end of the day, sometimes it could save a life. I guess as uh, grandiose that may sound, um, it's true. You know, both of us work at that grassroots level and we we see how important this is in a lot of these kids lives and um, we just wanted to continue at every facet and if you know we can make a difference or we can help someone coach wise or at the participant level for playing uh, get to the next level, then that's what we wanted to do. So we work, we work well together. I I really like Nicole, and I'm I think she's she was definitely worthy of that position that she's she's holding and doing a very good job at.
1: Yeah, I can see you two getting along great. You both have this wonderful spirit and and heart about you. Just a couple more questions. You know, I'm thinking about you and all these awards, and nobody can ever take them away from you. Nobody definitely can take away the fact that you were the first black woman to play on the U.S. women's national team. I I was wondering about Charmaine Hooper for Canada. I'm not sure if she was the first black player for Canada, but you're similar eras right uh you, you two Absolutely. played yeah
2: oh, yeah oh yeah in fact when we were the national pool we went to st paul minneapolis that's where we were when we had so to speak tryouts we had like a little mini international exhibition and we played against canada twice now of course i've known charmaine since the college days when she was at nc state
3: mm-hmm.
2: a tough player you had to respect her game and if you didn't you were going to before the end of whatever match you were playing against her. I was a defender, so
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, <laughs> so I give any forward their props. And growing up, I played forward all my life, so being recruited as a defender, I call myself cross-trained, as they call it, you know. Ah. Um, but, but you respected a good yes. forward, a good Mia ham or a good. You know, even a good mid midfielder, a uh, Michelle acre stall, or I used to have to cover April Heinrichs, you know, you're talking yeah. about the will Coerver model right there, you know what I mean? So yeah, Charmaine was one of those players that, you know, you would always remember, especially because there weren't a lot of African-Americans playing. Now when Charmaine played, I, there was April Kemper, who, who was from New Jersey as well. They both played for NC state okay, uh, at the same time and different styles of play, but both very sharp players, but Charmaine had all those components, strength and skill and tactical and technical and just, you know, sometimes could be a defender's worst nightmare if you if you didn't yeah. know how to play that position, you
1: know? Oh, yeah, amen. I, I used to love watching her play, and obviously everybody speaks highly of you. You know, my last question is, uh, as I think about it, Kim, and I know you're humble, but I do believe, and I think I'm right about this, but you can tell me. Like I do believe like people like Crystal Dunn and Jessica McDonald and you know even Lynn Williams, who's kind of come on of late. I mean, I feel like they know who you are and and the and the path that you laid for them. Is that fair to say? Do you sense that they know that? Because I think they do.
2: Absolutely. I, I've met, met them all and actually in depth spoke with Jessica McDonald and Crystal Dunn. I'm quick to pull up my photo album of all the national team players, you know, because we hosted our first ever women's national team alumni event in LA. It's been probably four years now. Everybody was there, old and young. And so that was the big thing. A lot of the young players were like, we really want to meet these players. We've heard so much about them. We want to meet the Kim Krabs, and, you know, we want to meet all these players. So it was awesome that, they hosted that and they sat us. We had a, a breakfast for nothing but the players. So if you brought your family members, they had to they had to stay behind on this one. And they strategically placed some of us at different tables, old and new, so that we could, you know, we could all kind of conversate and ask all the questions we wanted and and get to know one another. Well, like I said, I had already, you know, spoken in depth with uh with both Crystal Dunn and Jessica McDonald. In fact, I just just was in contact with Jess McDonald probably a couple of weeks ago because I'm desperately trying to get them down here. I'm like, are you still at Chapel Hill? <laughs> you know, I think and it, it may not even be all about being the first, you know what I mean? But I think when a player has paid their dues or, or, or you know, I've been in the game a long time. So I've contributed in every way and now I'm still doing it and I'm not tooting my horn, I think you have to respect those players. You know what I mean? And yeah. being that I am the trailblazer, the pioneer that laid the path for those ladies, that makes it even, even better. I think there's gonna be more Crystal Dunn's and Jessica McDonald's and Rihanna Scurries and Kim Krabs. I, I, I know it, I've got some little cousins that I just met from <laughs> Maryland, and these girls are, are awesome. And they came down here to Raleigh and I wasn't able to go and watch them play. But mom sends me, you know, le- this is, Facebook is lovely. <laughs> you know, yes, yeah, it is. I run I run 100 miles an hour, but people connect with me on, on Facebook. I'm not one of the junkies that say I don't know what I'd do without it. But it really has brought me some connections that I wouldn't wouldn't be able to have without this, this uh, platform. And so one of them is my new cousins that I've connected with in Maryland. And these girls are absolutely awesome. They're winning showcases down here in Raleigh and their names will be on the map soon, you know, if not already. And that's awesome. I'm more honored that I'm 55 years later, still able to continue to contribute back to the sport. And I'm excited about what more I can do. If you just look out for that outreach of Cape Fear, it's coming. And we're going to do, do some good stuff, you know. And, and people ask, well, what are you going to do different? Well, we're, we're going to implement some, some tutoring. We're going to implement some mentoring. And some of those components, like I said, that are very important. I keep using the word component. It's my favorite word now, (laughs) but, uh, but, but it fits, it fits so well sometimes. And, and it is, it's those are components that are, necessary for some of my, you know, not just my grassroots program, because I've talked with a a lot of coaches that are across the nation that are doing it. And we are all facing some of the same challenges. So once we, once we get these things nipped in the bud, so to speak, and and, 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 and in a better situation for these kids, the outcome is going to be better. It's going to be more successful for them. And, and we're going to see more players of color, because I work with a a large Hispanic community as well. And we're going to figure these things out and, and make sure that these kids get these opportunities just like we did.
1: Wonderful interview. Wonderful person. The 2021 United Soccer Coaches Youth Coach of the Year, a trailblazer. Keep your eyes out for their Cape Fear outreach that she's talking about as well. And we'll see her on the stage. I'm the co host of that awards banquet on Friday night, Kim. So I'll see you there. Thanks so much for kicking off a jam packed United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. It's a true honor for me. Thank you so much, Kim.
2: Thank you for having me. Once again, check us out at outreachofcapefear.org. Lots coming to the soccer world.
1: Thank you very much. What a trailblazer indeed, Kim Crab, And we just started the trail on this jam-packed show. Coming up next, Chris Clements, a longtime friend of the association who, like the new incoming CEO, Jeff Van Dusen, has done it all at the conventions. He's going to be part of an interesting panel with a big-time topic. I'll let him share that. Chris Clemens, who is the head coach at Minot State University D2 in North Dakota, is up next as part of our Countdown to Convention on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Come see us on Podcast Row at the 2022 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Kansas City this January. The convention is the ultimate event for soccer coaches and those who work in the game. Rekindle your passion through presentations on-field demonstrations exhibits and events for coaches at every level whether you're attending alone or bringing the entire coaching staff there's no better place to learn network and experience all aspects of the game register for the convention before the price increases on december 16 to secure the best rate and as a listener of this podcast use the promo code Pod 22, that's pod22 at checkout and save an additional $40. Your registration also includes all of the recorded sessions so you won't miss a thing. Visit United Soccer Coaches Convention.org today to register before December 16 and use promo code POD22. That's POD22 at checkout to save. We can't wait to be reunited with all of you in Kansas City.
0: Time now for the Countdown to Convention, a weekly interview on the United Soccer Coaches podcast that features the United Soccer Coaches Convention, which will take place January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Every week during this time, our host, Dean Linky will take a deep dive with someone or a group of people that will be featured at this year's convention. Remember to register early for the convention by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org Now, here's Dean with this week's Countdown to Convention.
1: Time now for our Countdown to Convention, which means we visit with one of our presenters and this is a man, it's it's kind of interesting because Jeff Van Dusen's taking over as the CEO, and Jeff Van Dusen's done everything. I feel like Chris Clemens has also done everything for United Soccer Coaches, and he's a mainstay at the convention. He's at Minot State Division II in North Dakota, now in his second year, had a winning season in just his second year after spending time at Hastings. He also spent time at Avila University. He's always been so nice to me. Chris Clemens is here. Chris, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap
4: thank you so much great to be here
1: and you are presenting and the title for your presentation is one of the longest ever so i'm going to make you read it <laughs> yeah it's uh we we have a panel uh for the convention and our title is making
4: soccer relevant in your athletic department how do we build a program culture that is both successful inclusive and respected
1: you know it's long but it is meaningful when you think about it right When you, particularly when you talk about inclusive and Respected Chris, what is it about the United Soccer Coaches, particularly convention time? You're always there. You're always ready to do whatever it takes.
4: It's just such a unique organization, right? It's it's providing so many different resources to the soccer community, whether it be youth soccer, whether it be high school soccer, whether it be college soccer, you know, and even gets into that professional soccer from education, awards, and then the convention, which kind of is all of it all at once. You know, I was lucky enough. Uh, to work for Jeff Van Dusen, he kind of gave me my first start in the, in the college world, uh, brought me on when I was young and, and didn't really know what I wanted to do, and, and he brought me to my first convention in Philadelphia uh, many, many years ago, and just the, that, the whole getting together as soccer coaches, all different levels, and being able to learn from each other, created such a wonderful type of environment that I don't think it is replicated and will be replicated in any other sport across the world. And I think that's what makes it such a unique and amazing, an amazing institution.
1: Knowing how hard Jeff has worked over the years, starting as an intern, how proud are you of him being the new CEO?
4: Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. He has always loved the convention and United soccer coaches. And so now seeing him be the CEO and being able to help direct the organization over the, over the upcoming long-term, I hope, is fantastic. I think that he has such a unique view, having, you know, been a club coach, having uh, have been, have been a college coach, you know, having played, I think it's gonna be fantastic. I, you know, I don't think they could ask for, as a body of, of the organization, we couldn't ask for a, a better CEO to understand what we need in soccer, to think outside the box, to provide resources for us. It's going to be exciting. And and I'm so, so excited to have, to know him and, and so appreciative for what he's done for me in my career, both professionally and personally, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that you pick up the phone and you need something and he answers and he gives of his time so willingly and freely. It's, it's amazing.
1: Well, and it's interesting that in your title the word relevant is in there. And I think one thing about Jeff is he's tried to make sure every level of soccer is relevant: youth, high school, D one, D two, D three, NAIA, junior college, pro. He cares about all of it. Correct.
4: Yeah, having been a guy who was, who was, I was his assistant at Division two, and then went NAIA and spent, you know, times at you know Avila, which which wasn't a, a hugely successful NAIA program. Uh, I still felt that you got the value of them moving to Hastings, and we were obviously more relevant on the national level at AI, and now back to Division II. You know, I think you get the education you need. You get the respect you need. You know, you get the promotion that you need. I think that's the fantastic part of of the organization.
1: You came in from Hastings, and obviously that first year was a little bit of a transition, but you're already starting to win. Talk about what's going right for you at Minot State. You know,
4: I think it leads us kind of into – into what, uh, what what we're talking about at the convention is is that culture is what we focused on. When I got there day one, we focused on culture. We focused on building a culture uh, and recruiting the right kids for that culture. And I think that was our focus. We were lucky that we had, a you know, it's year two for me, but we had a COVID year in the middle. So it's kind of like year two on the field, but year three in building culture. That last year, the COVID year, we spent the whole time focusing on the culture. Culture isn't just relationships, it's also how we train, how we get better, how we work on the field, how we require each other to to give to the program, how we focus in the classroom. And honestly, that's been our focus, and it still is our focus to this day, is, is culturally is this the right decision that we're making for our program? And it starts with me, and I have to ask myself that all the time, whether it's you know, getting frustrated at, at, at individuals, whether it's doing the work myself is, is this what we want for our culture? And I think that's obviously been our focus. And And we've been lucky that that year two, we were able to, to get more wins and, and we had players that really bought into that. We had, a, you know, three fifth year seniors that, that bought into it and, and won you know, true senior that bought into it. And we had great leaders that
1: helped our program kind of focus on that throughout the season. We're here with Chris Clemens, who's got a presentation at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Chris, read the title one more time. Title again is Making Soccer Relevant in Your Athletic Department. How do we build a program
4: culture that is both successful, inclusive and respected?
1: So if I walked into your athletic director's office right now, what would he say about how relevant the soccer programs are there?
4: <laughs> I hope I hope you'd say they're 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 extremely relevant. I think creating a you know a so athletic departments are such an interesting dynamic because we have all of these head coaches that were so focused on our teams and our programs and winning, but yet we also have to be focused on creating that culture in the whole department, whether it be supporting other teams whether it be walking down the hallways and and speaking to other athletes and asking them, hey, how's it going? Hey, we're excited to watch you play this coming upcoming weekend. It has such an important impact on the overall department and how your program is perceived in the athletic department, which is huge. And then, you know, there's a self-serving side of it. When you need something from from other coaches, you know, we had a big, we had a huge game, uh, conference semifinal game that we hosted you know, at our place, our quarterfinal game, we hosted at our place. It was a cold, cold night in North Dakota, as you can imagine. And, you know, having 250 athletes there supporting us was huge. And that comes because of that relationships that we've built with other coaches that our players have built uh, in the athletic department. And that's how I think you really truly know is, are you respected as a program
1: in in the athletic department? And I think that doesn't come with wins or losses. Besides this unique panel, what are you most looking forward to in Kansas City as part of the convention?
4: Well, I have to be honest, coming back to Kansas City, you know, having lived just outside of Kansas City for for so many years and then moved into Kansas City and worked at Avila, which is in Kansas City, you know, it's going to be exciting to be back in Kansas City and experience, you know, soccer in Kansas City. You know, for anybody who has not been to Kansas City and, and not had the opportunity to go to you know, sporting and, and watch a sporting game or, or go recruit, I think is at Shields, Shields soccer complex now. And, and, you know, it's such a cool environment that's overlooked in the soccer world, I think. I don't think people necessarily think about Kansas City as, as a soccer hub, but maybe I'm biased and there's people listening that are like, no, 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 Kansas City. But I think Kansas City is a phenomenal soccer town. And, you know, having United soccer coaches be there, that be their headquarters and and so many different elements it's going to be such a fantastic experience I think that if you've never been to the convention before you've got to come to this one in Kansas City if you've been and you you know haven't been in a while or or this is just the one to get back in and and, and get back into it after skipping last year or going virtual last year going back in person to Kansas City is is phenomenal.
1: Great answer. Last question for Chris Clemens. My perception is you were always ready to do whatever Jeff needed, even if it wasn't glamorous. Have you passed that stage where now you say, no, I'm not doing some of that stuff that's not glamorous? Have you made it to the big time here, Chris? Are you still willing to do whatever it takes to help Jeff and the association?
4: I will always do whatever Jeff asks. You know, when you are so appreciative for for opportunities, You'll do whatever, and honestly, it's like that's the biggest thing about the convention is you know, hey, I'll do whatever. I've had some phenomenal jobs and experience at convention, and I'll also take out the trash and and uh, and sweep the floors if I need to. I think it's you know, you do anything to make it work, and that's what Jeff showed me from day one was, hey, you just got to pitch it, and and I'll be there early. I'm flying in early to help move stuff from Union Station the headquarters to the convention site, you know, and I'll be probably loading trucks and and moving boxes because it's what makes it work and what makes the convention happen. You know, the behind the scene things, the stuffing packets on Monday, you know, all those packets that the convention attendants get, they were stuffed by hand by volunteers and knowing that you had a value in that. I think that's the important thing.
1: Every experience I ever had with you, and you don't even know me that well but you always did it with a smile if I had trouble finding a credential or whatever you always always were there Chris and I really like that about you so I'm really thrilled for you at not State I'm thrilled about this panel and I'm thrilled to see you in Kansas City congratulations my man.
4: Hey I appreciate it too it's uh, always great working with you and you know every once in a while I tell my kids we'll be watching a broadcast on, on TV and I'm like hey I know, I know that guy is Dean. And they're like, you don't know him, dad. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I, I do. I do. So uh, no, you've done a phenomenal job. And and, and we love, uh, you know, love working with you at convention and getting to see you in person. It's fantastic.
1: All right, Chris Clem is always a pleasure. He's the top man at Minot State. And he's got a really important presentation at the convention. Check the schedule. Make sure you're there, Chris. Thanks for being on the podcast. No problem. Thank you so much. All right. We're just getting going as that was our countdown to convention. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked to eight national championship coaches both D1 coaches, both D2 coaches, both D3 coaches, both NAIA coaches. Now we're gonna start chopping away at the junior college level. We have both junior college D1 championship coaches for men and women, and we have the women's D2 champion. We'll try to find the men's D2 and both D3 in a future show prior to the convention. But when we return, it's Mike Brown, the head coach of the Iowa Western Reavers, who have won it again on the men's side. Mike Brown on the bounce.
0: That's this week's Countdown to Convention for the 2022 United Soccer Coaches Convention, January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Register today at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org.
1: This is Dean Linke with a quick message from United Soccer Coaches College Programs Department. United Soccer Coaches College Services Program benefits do not stop once the season ends. Your registration continues to work for you and your team with 2021-22 eligibility for Team Academic and Team Pinnacle awards, plus all season representation with the NCAA, NAIA, and Junior College governing bodies. If you have not registered for United Soccer Coaches College Services, please consider doing so today. Join the College Services program now. Welcome back to another jam-packed United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap a couple weeks ago. We talked to eight national championship coaches. We're not done. we got to get some love to the, the national junior college champions. And right back in the spotlight is Iowa Western, the Reavers, they won another national championship. Their head coach is Mike Brown now in his third year as they just capped this season with a national championship. Mike Brown's career record is now 52-2-3. and Here's the deal. I know your program because when Jordan Carver won it on the men's side and then Brad Sylvie won it on the women's side, we had them on, right? And you worked for Jordan Carver, so you knew what it took, right? So just talk about what you learned from Jordan to get to this point.
3: Yeah, no, I was very fortunate, obviously. Um, Coach Carver gave me a chance when no one else really would. I wrote every school um, coming out of college, D1, D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO 1, JUCO 3, just begging for a job. Um, And he brought me on as an assistant, and my two years there, you know, I was really just fortunate to work for him. He's become one of my best friends. Um, He's my best man at my wedding. We talk probably once a week. He just... A dear friend, you know, and being under him, I learned a lot of just the relationship side of things with players and, you know, and how important that is and how your relationships with players can get the most out of it, but also can be the most beneficial for both parties going forward. Awesome. Get me caught up. Where did he go? Is he still coaching? Did he move on? So he went out to his wife, took a job at the university of Utah And then he was assistant with Salt Lake City last year. We actually played them in the national championship game last year and lost in overtime. And then this past fall, he was at Skagit Valley in Washington. Okay, so he's still coaching at the junior college level. Yeah, it's out in Washington. So the Washington league is a little bit weird. So
1: okay. Do me a favor. I like to walk through like the elite eight win and then your final four wins. Tell us uh, how you got there. If you can remember, tell us about the elite eight win and then who you beat in the semis and then who you beat in the championship.
3: So in group play, we had play Coffeeville. Coffeyville, they were a very good team. Um, you know, they threw a of number forward. Um, so it's kind of a tricky game. Um, we were obviously coming off a district loss in the district championship, the Iowa lakes, you know, we have played them for the ninth time in a calendar year and they got us once in an overtime game so that was kind of a tricky game but so we were lucky enough to get an at-large game play Coffeeville. I think people would say it's kind of good we lost early um, in that sense like it I think it lit a fire under the boys and allowed them to be a little more focused into the right things so in that Coffeeville game we just had a lot of steam and We just kind of came out flying. Um, I think we got up, if I remember correctly, 3-0 pretty quickly within the first 30 minutes or so. And then they got a goal and then we got another goal. I think the game ended up being 6-2. It was just a track race almost in terms of that. So that was a good result for us, obviously, you know, and especially in group play, score a lot of goals and get a good goal differential. That's really huge. Then we had our day of rest. Coffeyville ended up beating Laramie. So that made things good for us going into the third day. Playing Laramie County, you know, they were traditionally, I mean, they were a top five team all year. I mean, that would, some could say that was a really tough group draw, but every game in the National Tournament is tough. Played Laramie, we got an early set piece goal in the second half off corner kick, just a second ball, um, cleaned up the trash and, and smashed it in, Arata Segusa did. That was good to get a 1-0 win and then just kind of grinded it out the rest of that game from that perspective. Semifinal, we had to play Tyler Junior College at Tyler. So, you know, that was kind of a cool thing. Obviously, they're traditionally considered one of the best programs, if not the best junior college program over the last 10 years. So playing them at their place in the semifinals was big. It was a good game. It was honestly probably the best game in the national tournament, in my opinion. Either team could have won. We got a late foul, um, I think in the 81st minute, if I believe. And Giorgio Provo stepped up, hit a free kick. So that sent us 1-0. And then we kind of just grinded out. You know, Gonzalo Cuevas had a goal line. Uh, he was our right back. He kicked the ball off the line with 30 seconds left. So it's kind of crazy in that game. And then the next day when there's Arizona Western. And I, I think, you know, having a large group of sophomores who had been in the national championship the previous year, a lot had been up 1-0 and then ended up losing 2-1 overtime. I think there was a sense of we weren't going to lose that game. Um, you know, just once you've been there and then you get to go back, I felt the guys were pretty locked in that day. And they knew what they needed to do. Got up 1-0 early off a really good pressing moment. Ibrahim had a really good press um, on their goalkeeper. The goalkeeper ended up playing to him at the Selected off Ibra. And then uh, Giorgio came up, smashed it again. And then, you know, in the second half, kind of back and forth. You know, obviously we get 1-0 in a national championship game. You got to be able to withhold some pressure from there. We had a good counter moment and, you know, found Eber in front of the goal and placed away 2-0 and then just kind of defended and did what we needed to do. Here with Mike Brown, the head coach of the Iowa Western Reavers, who
1: won the NJCAA Division I Men's National Championship a few weeks ago. At the same time, your volleyball team was winning a national championship. That's pretty cool, right, with uh, both you guys celebrating a national title?
3: Yeah, it was really cool, obviously, that day. So volleyball got back on the campus around one o'clock I think that day and they had their big welcome party and then we came back that night we got back around 8 p.m and they got to do, do another welcome party so I, I think it was cool obviously our guys you know I would say volleyball team is the one team we're pretty close with on campus so it was it was just kind of a cool experience you know That was kind of reminiscent of 2013 uh, when both men and women's team won it like it was just a really cool experience for the boys, you know, and something that they can always look back on, I think is really important.
1: I feel like I got pretty close with Jordan and Brad back when they were winning the national championships. And I asked them to explain Iowa Western and the Reavers, where it's located and what makes it so special. I'll ask you the same
3: question. Where is it located and what makes it so special? So we're 10 minutes outside of Omaha, Nebraska. We are Located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. I, I think there's a mix of things that make it special. Obviously, you know, we have great support from the administration. Every sport's going to be competing for a national championship year in, year out. You know, I think in the calendar year, last year, volleyball won a national championship. Track and cross country did. Um, this year, obviously, volleyball won again that we did. So that's four teams. Cross country, you know, they were runner-ups this year. Women's soccer was in the national tournament. Football is in the national championship. I just think great support, great facilities. You know, I left here in um, 2013 after winning the national championship. The assistant um, went on to Central Arkansas and Division One for a little bit. And I, and I love my time there, but I quickly realized that, you know, there's not many places like Iowa Western. And so when Coach Carver moved on, you know, the opportunity to come back was something I couldn't pass up. Um, And just, it's just a commitment to success, which I think is um, really important, you know, at this level.
1: You did a good job walking me through that first title and then going to central Arkansas and then coming back. But tell me about before that, I know you said you were a military child, but tell me kind of where you popped around and did you play soccer somewhere? And when did you know you wanted to be a coach?
3: Yeah. So I spent the majority of my life moving around. Um, my dad was in the military, and so we moved from born in Georgia, then we moved to Virginia, then I think from there we moved to Germany, then we moved to Missouri, Kansas, Tech, like a bunch of places. All over. I think the average day I lived at places with two years growing up. So soccer for me was just kind of a opportunity, really, you know, for the social aspect. Um, and then I enjoyed it. Like, I loved competing growing up. I was always wanting to compete, get better. That was just, you know, my dad really instilled work ethic and things like that growing up. And soccer was a way for me to channel uh, channel that energy. And then going into college, you know, I went to a small NAI school, Benedictine College. I was very fortunate to play for a guy named Rob Herringer, who was just an outstanding tactician and or an organizer of a program and culture and things like that. And so that allowed me to really grow and learn those areas. I wasn't the best player. I was probably the 34th player on the team. And then I blew out both my knees in college my sophomore year. So after that, my soccer career was kind of pretty much over. Went to Italy to finish my degree in international business. Got there and just really decided I did not want to be a, um, sit in a cubicle for the rest of my life. I wanted to do something. I wanted to make a difference. So from there, I kind of said, I was like, well, I'm either going to go to Rwanda and do some missionary work, or I was either going to do, um, try to be a coach. So I wrote every school D1, D2, D3, just NAIA JUCO begging for a job. And, you know, coach Carver gave me an opportunity. And then from there, kind of the rest is kind of filled out from there. I think you touched on it already, but
1: after you won the national championship, assuming since he was your best man, was he one of the first people that you heard from?
3: Yeah, yeah. No, I talked on that day. I think during the whole week, my whole staff and I, we got very sick. We did not have COVID, luckily. We just had a really bad cold. And I i don't know what it was. You know, this is my third time being in a national championship game as a head coach. I was there in 2018 when I was at Barn Community College and we lost the Pima overtime. And then last year, obviously losing to Salt Lake. But, you know, on this day, I kind of had a feeling, I was like, we're just winning this game. You know, I had a team full of, full of sophomores, a really good leadership structure amongst the team. And so I just felt like we were going to win. That was kind of the text I sent. I was like, we're winning this today. You now, granted, I, this time I didn't screw it up, but you know, it was it was good. And so and he texted me right away and we have a big alumni group amongst all the Iowa Western alumni. And so that was kind of cool because everybody was kind of shooting in it. It was good. It was cool to see. Mike,
1: because you were an assistant coach, you understand the values that assistant coaches bring. I thought this would be a good opportunity for you to give shout outs to your coaching staff as part of your national championship
3: team. Yeah, I would not have done without them. I love my staff. I, you know, I'm very lucky to have the staff I do. You know, I I think obviously, you know, I've had previous assistants and they've all been great and they're all and part billions, but the staff I had this year was awesome. You know, it starts with John Shod. Um, he's probably my oldest friend of 15 years. We played together in college at Benedictine. He was a volunteer for us last year on the staff. Um, then we had some guys move on, and I moved him up full-time, and he's been great. You know, he just brings kind of that old man-wise, you know, kind of balances me really well. Cesar Herrera, he was at Hastings College. He's the guy I brought on in the middle of last year. And his work rate is just unbelievable. You know, like he's just always working nonstop and he's an outstanding recruiter um, in that sense. Um, And then, you know, we brought in Trevor Ward and Kevin LeBond. They were two late additions we actually brought in right before the season, I think in like July. Um, Trevor came from uh, the Columbus Crew Academy. And then Kevin obviously was a goalkeeper coach up at D3 in Minnesota, um, and I, I just appreciate their loyalty and willingness to buy into what we were doing right away. And I think they did an excellent job. And, you know, that was the biggest thing I loved the, amongst the staff. Like they're just so loyal and they just, we did it together. It wasn't really like me doing it this or that, you know, we all did it together. And, you know, I think when you have a staff, it's really important that togetherness side, you know, and I think if you feel like a staff is together, you know, the team will feel it and they'll get behind that and they'll go with that. And, you know, and that's, kind of the big thing we had in 2013, you know, between me, Jordan Carver, and Caleb Henson is we were together, you know, and like we had a really good connection amongst each other. And because of that, I think that was a big reason why we won. And I believe that this year. So, and I, I think, you know, I was sitting in Steve Clement's office the day before the semifinal um, head coach of Tyler. And I was talking to him and, you know, about all the national championships and won. the one thing he told me is like, there's, there's this big thing about just being together You know, and together as one was something we kept talking about um, throughout as a team throughout the whole, you know, kind of national tournament run, I would say.
1: Mike Brown, the head coach of the national champion, Iowa Western Reavers from NJCAA Division One. Right behind you, I see just a couple more questions for you, but I see vision for victory with some key words. Can you share those? Because I always feel like those kind of words are important to all the coaches that are part of the United Soccer Coaches,
3: your vision for victory. There's four words up there. What are they, coach? Yeah, there are core values that we go with by honesty, commitment, selflessness, resilience. And I always say like, you know, we're not trying to, in junior college, you don't get finished products. You get guys that are going through life and still growing and turning the young men. So, you know, my goal is that when guys leave us, they have those four words and that they can carry them into, um, you know, just who they're going to be, you know, and and carry them into life. You know, I mean, so like, honestly, for me, it just, like, I want guys to be honest with me. If they make mistakes, that's fine. Just talk to me about it, you know? And like, uh, they're kids, I get it, you know? And so just being able to admit and overcome faults, you know, resilience, we talk a lot about just what happens when you grow up and let's say you lose your job or a kid dies or something just tragic happens. Are you just gonna stop or are you gonna keep going? So we talk about having positive responses to all events. You know, we have a whole... List of event and response outcomes that we talk about daily um, in terms of in games and stuff like that, and especially off field. Commitment, you know, we just talk about guys seeking excellence in everything we do, giving their maximum effort 100%. You know, I think that's a big thing that they'll need going in life. And then selflessness, you know, I, I think you can't have success in any facet of life, whether it's family, professional, or anything, without having. A sense of selflessness and willing to make sacrifices for each other so and uh, we talk a lot too you know for the badge you know i think that's the one thing Iowa Western is unique in terms of our program is that you know we have a badge and we have a crest and we fight for that because it's about the people that came before us and the people that are going to come after us and so we're very committed to building that as we go along great answer mike brown thanks for sharing that my final question is you know the convention
1: will be in kansas city I feel like United Soccer Coaches has always done a really good job recognizing junior colleges. Hopefully you'll be there. I wouldn't be surprised if you'll be on the stage, and maybe I'll
3: get to shake your hand up there on that Friday night. Will you be able to make it to Kansas City, Coach? Yep, I will be there. So unless my wife is nine months pregnant, so unless I get a phone call, I will not be there. But my assistants will be there for sure. So
1: Congratulations on uh, your pregnancy as
3: well. Uh, With that, what has United Soccer Coaches meant to you and your development? A lot, honestly. It really has. For my first time coming on assistant to Coach Carver in 2013, uh, in 2012, I've tried to make every convention since then. Um, you know, and it's become a platform for me too, to gain more of a voice in terms of develop helping junior college soccer develop. You know, I've now kind of taking over the All-America and then the polls and all that, and I've gotten more of understanding of how the inner workings are, you know, in terms of the politics side and all that, and just helping make the association and allow soccer to grow in junior college. Um, It just helped my development. Like, I've always, every year I go to the convention, I pick things up, you know, and I try to get as many coaching courses as I can. You know, I being my premier diploma was probably the best thing for me ever. Um, You know, I had Shellis Heinemann as an instructor, and just what he did for me in terms of simplifying the game and allowing allowing me to develop my strategy just in that one week just helped me grow a lot as a coach. I have a lot of respect and a lot of appreciation for United Soccer Coaches.
1: Awesome. Great answer. As a long-suffering Cincinnati Bengals fan, anytime I can talk to somebody named Mike Brown, I always enjoy it as well. Uh, Mike Brown is a national champion head coach, uh, almost won it last year, wins it this year, probably going to win a lot more the Iowa Western Reavers, which is a river pirate, by the way. Folks, check out their logo, their badges. as Mike Brown said. It's really awesome. Congratulations on your national championship, and thanks, thanks. so much for being on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast no problem sounds good thank you so much so mike brown wins the njcaa men's division one championship now we go to the women's njcaa division one championship and that's eastern florida state college led by scott carswell relatively new to the job but scott you're now a national champion head coach how's that sound
5: it sounds fantastic you know we're that was kind of the plan when we came in. Coach Carr had built a great program before we had gotten there, and we were just hoping we had what it took to take it to the next level. Well, let's break it down. I'd like to know like, who you beat in the
1: Elite Eight and then who you beat in the Final Four and who you beat in the championship game. Walk us through those three games, Kenya.
5: you? know, We went into the tournament as the number three overall seed, and we started out with a game against Rose State a game that we were expected to win, but in the end we didn't win. So we had lost that game in overtime. And I think that set the tone for us going forward because we were a completely different team after that loss. That game against Rose State, we dominated the majority of the game. We outshot them like 28 to three. And then we got in overtime and we gave up a direct kick right at the top of the box. And, you know, their girls stepped right up on top of it, hit the perfect kick, and we lost on the golden goal. So that kind of put us in a bad spot because usually if you lose your first game in the tournament, it's hard to come back from something like that. You know, we had a team captain, Kirsty Woodacre. She got the team back together, had a meeting. They got focused and coming back after that, they were just a completely different team. And then the next game, you know, because we had lost with goal differential, we had to win that next game against Hill College by two goals. And same thing, we were all over them. It was a good game. Both teams playing good. We scored early on in the first half. And then with under five minutes, we were still tied, knowing we needed another one. And then we were able to get that goal on a set piece off a corner kick with two minutes left. That pushed us into the final four. Final four, we came up against a really good Seminole State team and they play, they were playing fantastic, but everything that kind of wasn't dropping for us in the previous two games seemed to go in and we, we advanced by beating them three to nothing. Then it was on to Tyler, which has kind of been the nemesis of our program for years, but our girls were confident and feeling good. And we got a penalty kick early on and we were just able to weather the storm for the you know, the second half and get out of there with the win. That's awesome. Yeah. It's not easy
6: to beat Tyler and men or women, as you know, so certainly you get over that hump and win that national championship.
1: You know, I really like your path. As I'm reading here, you joined the Titans as assistant a couple of years ago after 17 seasons at Merritt Island high school, leading the girls soccer program to three state championships, including back-to-back in 2017 and 18. And you went to eight state championship games in 17 seasons. Scott, I really love the fact that you put your time in at high school, then you got the call up, you took advantage of it, assistant coach a little bit, like you said, Coach Carr gave you the keys. Talk about that time at Merritt Island High School and how that prepared you for this moment and an opportunity to win this national championship.
5: It was a similar type program, um, of course, For high school were all local kids, of course, but that's kind of the nice thing about Eastern Florida is a lot of the players that are there kids that grew up within 10-15 minutes of the school so it's kind of a similar situation so you know kind of what prepared us going into eastern florida is just that we we knew the player pool in the county we knew a lot of the coaches around so when we're looking for players that might be transferring out of a d1 and looking for a place we were able to pick them up at eastern florida Was it hard to
6: leave Merritt Island High School after all the success, or were you ready for this next step?
5: I think I was ready for the next step. I had actually, before I took the Eastern Florida job, I had uh, resigned as the coach there at Merritt Island. My wife always said to me, why don't you get a college job? And I told her the only job I would really be interested in was in Eastern Florida. And a couple months after that, Coach Carr decided he was going to retire. So it kind of you know, mm-hmm. was a nice transition to exactly what we would have wanted
6: as a family. Sell me on Eastern Florida State College, the Titans, what city is it
1: located in and what makes it so special?
5: It's in Melbourne, Florida. We're about 10 minutes from the beach, 35 minutes from Walt Disney. You know, I grew up here when it was Brevard Community College and the main campus was up on, in Coco. They moved the main campus down to Melbourne and Dr. Ritchie and Jack Parker and Coach Carr and all the people down there, they really built it into a first-class program academically and athletically. So I think when you come and you look around our campus and you see our facilities, you know, we match up with a lot of the top, you know, Division two and some Division one programs in the country. Well, you kind of led me to the next question because I was going
6: to ask you to kind of tell me about the merits of playing junior college soccer. What
1: do you like most about it?
5: Oh, well, as a Coach, I think what's fun about it is, you know, not only are you recruiting players, but you're trying to get your players on to the next level. So you're always talking with the current high school coaches and club coaches, but you're also talking a lot with current college coaches, whether they're NCAA Division One or Two or NAIA. So for a coaching standpoint, that what makes it fun. And for the players, I think it's a good opportunity for kids who were a little bit maybe under the radar, And didn't go to the school they were expecting to go to right out of high school. And then they come to us, of course, because the reputation that the program had previously. We get a lot of college coaches looking for players out of our program. So I think that's a huge benefit to the girls coming in. I
6: often ask about when you knew that, you know, hey, you know, I, I like coaching women maybe a
1: little bit better than men. What was it about coaching the women's game that appealed to you, Scott?
5: It's funny because I always said I would never coach on the women's side. And then it came open. I was working with the boys team at Merritt Island and the position came open and the AD, Jeff McLean there talked me into doing it. And then when I got, I just enjoyed it. It's just, it's, you know, I enjoy coaching the boys and the men as well, but the girls, a little, little bit different. You know, you gotta, it's not always about the X's and O's it's a lot more, uh, relating to the players and how you manage them and get along with them and try to get the best out of each and every one. We're here with Scott Carswell, who
6: is the NJCAA Division One Women's Soccer National
1: Champion. I often ask coaches uh, after they won championships about mentors in their life. I think you may have already said some of them, including Coach Carr. Like when you think about uh, the key people that have helped you develop and get to this point as a national champion, who are some key names?
5: You know, of course, my parents. You know, my dad was a coach at Merritt Island before me, and I knew how to I knew how to play soccer, but I didn't know how to coach and watching him, you know, how he handled the girls team. And he was way better at, you know, that aspect of it than I was. So I learned a lot from him. You know, just a lot of people. There was um, a coach around here named Bill Buren. He was uh, he's on the uh, national staff. He teaches the A, B and C licenses. I learned a lot from him. And then just, you know, the the overall soccer community. It seems like you're always calling somebody for advice somewhere along the line. So a lot of good people
6: in the game. United Soccer Coaches is all about learning. It's all about the soccer community. Have you been able to use United Soccer Coaches as a resource over the years at all, Scott? Yeah,
5: absolutely. I've been a member, uh, you know, as long as I can remember since I started on on the girls' side there and have been to some of the uh, symposiums and conventions and really enjoyed it when they had the summer convention here in Orlando a few years back. You know, it was always nice that we had players that were recognized. We had a player at Merritt Island, Olivia Bergau, who was recognized as a high school All-American and went on to captain the Florida State national championship team in 2018. So it's been a bit very influential and just getting the magazines and reading articles You know, whether it be about the psychology of the game or the X's and O's of the game, it's been a tremendous help. All right. Is it too early to talk about
6: repeating as national champs, Coach?
5: That would be the plan. We're losing a lot of good players. We've had some players move on. They've graduated. But we've got some good new players coming in and we're, you know, watching a lot of the local high school games and hoping to replace, you know, all those kids with some of the local talent we got around here. I
6: like it. Scott Carswell, the head coach of the Eastern Florida State College
1: Titans. They are your NJCAA Division I women's national champs. And we always talk to national champion coaches on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Congratulations, Coach Carswell. And thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap.
5: Well, I appreciate you having us. I was excited when I saw your name in the inbox and the invite to talk on your podcast. All right. Awesome, Coach. Good luck going for that repeat, and thanks for
6: being with us. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. We're not done talking to national championship
1: coaches on this edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. We'll move to NJCAA Division II women and talk to their national champion head coach who went undefeated and outscored the opposition 100-9 to in 20 games. That after these messages. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. we got a jam-packed show, pretty much all focused on the convention, and we've got three more national championship coaches. we got both the D1 Junior College national championship coaches, and we're happy enough to get the women's D2 national championship coach, who is Norman Ramos Franco with the Heartland Hawks out of Illinois. For the first time in history, the Hawks women's soccer team is your 2021 D2 national champions. Get this, folks. The Hawks finished their 2021 campaign with a perfect 20 and 0 record, no ties, and outscoring opponents by a whopping 100 to nine. Norman Ramos Franco, that my friend, is what's called getting it done. Yeah, it is, man. It's
7: it's a lot of hard work and a lot of behind the scenes work that gets put in with and without
1: the ball structure and all the good stuff. So last year, you made it to the national semifinal game. This year, you get it done. Talk about what you took away from your run in that first season for D2 Junior College and how you converted it into this incredible 20-0 and season.
7: Yeah, so uh, last spring, we went to Final Four. Uh, I was an assistant, a good friend of mine. He just left the program in August. So I was, I was with him all the way to spring. And in August, he, he got an, another job, right? What we took from that is the player rotation. You need to go there with a lot of rotation, a lot of fresh legs, because you're talking about five games in one week, you know, Uh, taking care of the body during the whole year, rotate a lot. And then once you get there, keep
1: rotating, keep getting fresh legs. I got to believe you must play attractive soccer because to score 100 goals and only give up nine. That sounds to me like death by possession. And it sounds like you got the ball a lot. Is that right? Yes, um, very
7: dynamic. I would say the girls uh, had a very dynamic mentality. Defensively, they
1: did the job very well, and when we were offensively, we 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 did a counterattack style. Tell me about the Heartland Hawks. Where is it, and what makes it so special?
7: It is in Bloomington, Illinois. In this, uh, we are a small town here. And there is us, the Harlan uh, Community College, and then there is Illinois State University, and then there's Illinois Wesleyan. Illinois State is division one, and then uh, Illinois Wesleyan is division three. We are two hours away from Chicago, two hours away from St. Louis, and two hours away from Indiana. So it's a little center hub, and it's, 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 it's a college
1: town. So the, the girls love it here, fun. I wanna know about the path of Norman Ramos-Franco. Where did you go up? Did you play in college? When did you know you wanted to be a coach? Just give me the whole spiel, like where you've gone and how you ended up here.
7: I grew up in El Paso, Texas, right? Grew up there. Once I hit 18, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I ended up going to this one trial, this the junior college that is 45 minutes away from here, Illinois Central College. That is where my college career picked up. I did two years there, and then I transferred down south to Laredo, Texas, Texas A&M International University. I did my two years there. Once I graduated... I called my coach at the junior college again. I was like, "Hey, you know, I just graduated. I don't really know what I'm gonna do." He's like, "Come, come, come and help me coach. You know, you know the system well. You know, you know how I play. I think you can help us." And
1: from there, it just went boom. I fell in love with coaching. What kind of player were you? Were you an attacking player, midfielder, defender? Where did you play? I was a winger. I was a very energetic,
7: box-to-box winger. A lot of running. I was very so. My style of play
1: is how I used to play straightforward tell me about when you knew that you really enjoyed coaching women and what is it about coaching women that you like the most
7: it's the discipline that the women give you they listen to you more uh, they respect you and you don't have to be as hard as the men you can give them a little more leeway which is for me is better I don't really always want to be the bad guy uh, obviously because I have both programs I have men and women And with men, I have to be a little bit more of the bad guy. With the women, a little bit more lenient, but still, I mean, obviously very, very professional,
1: but I get more uh, discipline out of them. Coach, I really love this picture of you holding the trophy, all of your young women around you. You got the sunglasses on. You got the hat on backwards. (laughs) I mean, that's a moment you'll never forget, right? Never, never, man. And as the days go by, you feel it more, you know? And being in a small town, like you said, in the state of Illinois and knowing that there's a D one program there, I've called games at Illinois state on Fox soccer when drew Roth, who's now the Purdue coach was there as well. So I know that very, very well, but being in this small little community, have they gotten excited about what you guys just pulled off? Yeah, they have, man. I'll, I'll, when I got back, I had to go to urgent care. I had a little infection going on and then
7: the ladies were like, Hey, congrats coach, you know? Little pubs I go to, hey, congrats, coach. You know, the the town is excited. The newspaper is excited. I'm very happy for the town. I'm very happy that, that we got to put Central Illinois up in the map. You know, Heartland is up in the map
1: now. Listen, you were an assistant coach, so I feel like it's always important as a head coach to recognize your assistant coaches. Let's shout out some names. Tell me about Bobby and Cassidy and even your strength and conditioning coach, Lucas. Bobby, I used to coach him back at ICC. He just
7: finished playing at Lewis, and I called him. I need your help. I need you to help me, coach. He took on a role and he had to mature quickly. His job was was main assistant for me for both programs. So he had to mature and he did the job perfectly, correctly. I have uh, and then I have another assistant, Cassidy. And she's uh, more like a player, uh, not a player, a student assistant, and she helps a lot with the paperwork, v- helped me organize everything, locker room setup, all those all the stuff that you kind of like. You know, need somebody to do that. And then um Lucas, uh, the strength and conditioning coach, very good, very smart in-season programming, off-season, very good. Everything, the programming was very well-structured. My players were very healthy. Um, I did have one player that I lost in season, but I mean, that was a need dislocation. That's nothing that could have been done. But other than that, every player, with fitness, athleticism was top-notch. Dude. Right?
1: What about Respect? when you when you won the Ramos Franco family, you're in Illinois, I'm assuming they're still in Texas. Were they able to be at the game or they were able to watch it? Were they able to share in the joy? Yeah. Mom and dad actually drove to Kansas. Cause it was in uh, Wichita. Uh
7: mom and dad drove to Kansas. My other brothers are in Florida, so they couldn't really come up to the trip, but they went. And, and a lot of, uh, I, I have a lot of players from El Paso. So a lot of moms and dads from El Paso,
1: Texas went, it was a good crowd. Explain to me. So just a couple years ago, it's always been D1 junior college, D3 junior college. So only a couple years ago, they went D2. How did all that happen and kind of assess D2 junior college soccer? Give it a rating for me.
7: It's new, right? The division two is new and I think it's it's getting better every year. OK, I'm not going to say it's the best. I mean, obviously, D1 is the best. Uh, I've coached in the D1 Illinois Central College is D one I was an assistant there. And it's, and obviously the, the, the quality is better, but th- the reason that, that we dif- di- differentiate is uh, the division one junior colleges are able to offer a full ride, which is tuition and housing in the division two, you can only offer tuition and not the housing. So that's when we now recruiting players gets a little harder, you know, sometimes they'll go to D1. Why? Because of the money. So
1: you clearly like living in Illinois. What was it about Illinois that drew you there?
7: I wouldn't say the weather because it gets kind of cold January, February, March. Those are kind of hard. But other than that, the other months are perfect. Uh, I would say the people. The people up here are very helpful, very resourceful. It's a community.
1: When you think about big people in soccer that made a difference in your life, or maybe it's a player that you admired, like who are some people that come to mind as either mentors or inspirations to Norman Ramos-Franco?
7: I have two mentors, my friend. I have two mentors that I owe all of my success to. Number one is Giovanni Macias. And number two is uh, Luis Rincon. Luis Rincon is a coach at Francis Marion University, head men's soccer coach. And uh, Giovanni is right now the the assistant for the women's team in Texas A&M International University. And we are, you know, my mentors. I have, I need help. I get stuck in anything give them a ring quickly, you know, good people, very good people
1: that I owe a lot of my, I owe all of my success to them. Now that you're a national champion head coach and it didn't take you long, as you look at the crystal ball, it looks like you're still really young, Norman Ramos Franco. 10 years from now, what do you want to be doing, my man? 10 years
7: from now. Uh, so you're talking long-term, long-term goal. I want to get all the way to D- division one women's soccer. That is my goal. I want to be at a Division One program, coaching women's soccer. I feel like women's soccer is so underappreciated and you can accomplish so much with these women, so much. So
1: when you think about D1 women's soccer coaches, are there some coaches that you've watched, how they built programs or coaches that you've admired at that level? Not really, man. Not really. And and that's
7: no disrespect to anybody. It's just I'm kind of building my own book and um, I want to build my own thing and I want to... At the end of the day, when all this is done, I, I want to be remembered and I want to leave my footstep and mark my words,
1: I will, man. Yeah, you kind of got your own style. You got the long hair, you got the sunglasses, you got kind of got the backwards hat. I, I feel like you kind of got the look and feel that these young women also admire. Like, do you feel that as well? I mean, can you feel that family with these women? Yeah. I mean, it's like um like a sense of confidence and, and they feed off of.
7: They're like, man, if, if this guy can be Liz, then I can be that, you know? And again, it, it all comes down to the to, to the feeling of being confident. You're confident and not nervous and
1: not anxious. You will succeed. All right, walk me through the final four. So walk me through the semifinal and the final. Who did you beat? How'd you get it done? Final four, we got well, against the Jayhawks from Muskegon. A very
7: um, very disciplined team defensively. With one very quick forward, we had to switch up everything. Like we, they gave us all the space to go, but we also had to be very careful because they left one forward that was very, very quick. So it was, it was hard. But very fortunately, uh, we had Laya, our, our Spanish forward, and she just she gave us a good game-winning goal with like 15 minutes left. Uh, and it had to be an absolute banger outside the 18 because we couldn't get in everybody was just stuck in there and they had they played well they played me well and the final versus pima going into the game i was calling my mentors and everything and they told me this game is going to be hell it's not going to be easy you are going to go to hell with this you're going to go to war but the one thing you must do is keep calm and composure okay i had i had a um again they kind of sat back a little i had i had a lot of space but then they were very good counter-attacking. They played with three forwards, one number 12. That was very good. And the two wingers were very crafty. Uh, I had one mistake by the goalkeeper. And the way that the girls reacted to the goalkeeper's mistake was phenomenal, my friend. It was they they they, complete, they just got the ball and went back to work. Okay. We we ended up tying the game. And in the and in the PKs, we went to penalty kicks. That goalkeeper, Becca Nielsen, saved two, the first two back to back,
1: saved us the game, you know, made us champions. Incredible. Norman Ramos-Franco, the head coach of the Heartland I mean, Hawks, Division yeah. II Women's National Champions. Finally, the United Soccer Coaches is really, they take a lot of pride in paying attention to college soccer at all levels. Mm-hmm. Has the United Soccer Coaches made a difference in your development at all? Have you been able to use the United Soccer Coaches at all, coach?
7: Yes, yes, yes. Um, they have good information, good good. Uh stuff that you can learn on and um and i'm working on my licenses uh especially this spring i'm going to focus on you know getting my recruiting done and then on the sides i i need to continue my education you know if i if i want to get up to the biggest i need to i need to get up there too you know and it's not just always winging it and asking for help you know you have to invest in yourself as well and i am very appreciative that um that these resources are available you know any chance
1: we'll see you in kansas city at the convention yes i'll be there i'll be there Okay, awesome, down, but I'll be there. You're going to be there, right? I'm going to be there, yeah. Norman Ramos Franco, the head coach of the D2 Junior College Women's National Champions, 20-0. and They outscored the opposition, to nine. I really like your style, Norman. Thank you so much for being on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks, man. I'll shoot you a text, and we'll link up in Kansas, huh? See you later, dude. Congrats, dude. That's impressive. 20-0, and 109. That's- 20-0, baby. <laughs> what
7: are <do> you <laughs> I am a president. Where's my raise?
5: <laughs> See you, bro. You, boss.
1: All right. Take care. Bye-bye. What a great personality. Keep your eyes out for Norman Ramos Franco at this year's convention in Kansas City. We are not done. When we return, we meet one more member of our 30 under 30 class. This time it's Nicole Pacapelli, who's done a ton under 30, as she's even been a head coach. She's now the assistant coach for the Binghamton women's soccer team. Of course, we love Binghamton because of Paul Marco and all the great coaches at Binghamton. Nicole Pacapelli, 30 under 30, when we return.
0: Does managing your club or league feel like a second job?
1: Jam packed show but my favorite part of the show is always spending time with another member of our great 30 under 30 class. I just think it's a great program that United Soccer Coaches does and it's no different today as we meet Nicole Pacapelli who's an assistant coach at Binghamton University. Of course we had Paul Marco who heads up the men's side, and Nicole works with him as well. We'll explain that in a moment. But Nicole Pacapelli is the assistant coach. She's done so much. She's a native of West Haven, Connecticut. She was a four-year scholastic standout and all-state soccer selection. She then played her freshman season at Stonehill College before transferring to New Haven, At New Haven, she was a former All-East and All-New England midfielder. She led the Chargers to 31 wins in three years. She served as captain for two years. was also an All-Northeast 10 selection. She came from Richmond, where she served as an assistant for the Atlantic 10-member Spiders in 2019. Prior to her year at Richmond, she was the head coach at Queens College for three seasons. And she's still under 30, and now with Binghamton (laughs) – Nicole, I'm just blown away by all you've done under 30. That's amazing. You've done more than most people have done at 70. I think that's a
8: little bit dramatic, but (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, and obviously being a part of this 30 under 30, you know, Paul Marco holds the United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCA, in such high regard. So you must know that this is a special accomplishment to be a part of this class.
8: It's definitely awesome. It's something that I am 29 and it is my last year to be able to do it, but I have applied to this program since I was 22 years old. So it just shows how competitive it really is and, and how hard it is to get into it. And I I'm super excited that I'm finally able to, to kind of experience it throughout this last year, it's my last chance. So it was, it was a one hope. So
1: yeah. Well, if you have listened to this, I, I like hearing about your whole career. So tell me about your high school time. Did you play other sports besides soccer? And, and then tell us about, you know, you went one season at Stonehill College and you made the decision to transfer before transfer was cool. You know, so tell us about that as well.
8: I played overall across my high school career. I did play four sports, so I played soccer, basketball. Um, I started running track just thinking it was something that I can do for um, soccer to help me there. But um, all my friends played lacrosse. So my senior year, I decided to switch it over. And um, same thing, you just run, you got to stick in your hand. It, it, is, it is no big deal. So I spent my high school career doing that. Um, I loved playing sports. Soccer was always my passion. I actually, I've been playing it since I was five years old. And it was something that I just fell in love with. I played for a Connecticut football club growing up, which is a local premier club in Connecticut. To be fair, i I really just kind of fell in love with the sport. Um, It was something that my dad um, started coaching me when I was very young. Playing for CFC, I played for Laura Duncan, who ended up, after transferring back to New Haven, that's a story in itself, um, was my college coach, but she was also my club coach, um, which was an awesome experience, and part of the reason why I have become a coach myself transferring home um I always say there's no place like home so I fell in love with Stonehill I thought it was a good fit and it just it just wasn't the place for me I I remember looking in the stands at one point and it was for the first time that my family wasn't at one of my games a midweek game and um, everyone's from West Haven. We're all five minutes away from each other, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and everything. So when I kind of experienced that, it was just something that I, I didn't didn't like. So I transferred back home, played 10 minutes from my house for the next three years. And I, like I said, I played for my club coach growing up and that was awesome. So that's kind of how, how that got going and, and my playing career kind of ended up.
1: So when you're back home, when did you know you wanted to be a coach?
8: I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there was one point where I was like, "This is what I want to do." But I. I knew that soccer was something that was a really big part of my life, and I think that I really just didn't know what I wanted to do when I when I quote unquote grew up. I thought I maybe wanted to be a teacher and maybe coach high school sports, and I really think the the relationship that I built with my coach in college was something that I really admired, and I I didn't understand all that went into. Being a college coach and just being a little bit of an office route with her in and out of the office, kind of understanding what goes on in day to day operations of um, coaching and it's so much more than your two hours on the field and it's building relationships and it's about the people and, and athletics is an awesome place with all the pride and excitement. So it was just something that I, I thought I can get into and she had a graduate assistant position open up um, during my time there and she kind of saved it for me. And that's how I got my foot in the door, and I kind of just fell in love with it through, th- through that. It was just a great experience, and obviously it's something that I, I'm very lucky to be able to do every day.
1: So you got to stay at New Haven and be an assistant, but then this job opened up at Queens College. Remind me what division that is. How old were you when you took over as the head coach?
8: Uh, it's Division Two in the East Coast Conference. Is one of the three conferences in the Northeast region. So it was any 10, which is what I played in ECC and the CACC just turned 23. I believe when I kind of got the job 23 or 24, I can't remember what, what, what point now, but I, I think maybe 23, it was a awesome experience, but it was very, very difficult. Very difficult.
1: Yeah, because you're almost their age, right? So you have to have that balance of being the boss, but also understanding what they're going through. And you probably learned a lot.
8: I learned through kind of just, I want to say failing every day, just finding my way, not knowing. Um, Obviously, my coach, Laura Duncan, taught me so much, but at some point she kind of got to let the wings go and kind of just let me do it on my own and just kind of navigating everything on my own. I always say the biggest difference between being a head coach and an assistant coach, I think is, um, an assistant coach gives suggestions and a head coach gets to make the decision. So being able to make those decisions about money, about players, about how I want to run my program without much experience doing it on my own, I think, um, just really, Matured me very quickly. And I also think something that was very difficult for me, but helped me along the way was coaching my own teammates. Um, I think that was really big as a graduate assistant and allowed me to kind of tr- transition into that head coach role at a young age because I had to do it already. Obviously, my teammates were my best friends, but I just graduated and spent four years living in the dorms with some of them and then had to transition to kind of waking up every day and being their coach making them run and doing those types of things. I think that was a very difficult transition to begin with. And then helped me into that, being able to coach kids who were kind of my age, or I should say just a little bit younger. So that definitely helped, but it, it wasn't an easy situation to be in every day. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I love your story, though. We're here with Nicole Pacapelli, who's an assistant coach with the Binghamton women's team. So you went to Richmond, so you get some D1 experience, and then Binghamton calls. Tell us about uh, your time at Richmond and then how you moved on to Binghamton.
8: Richmond was awesome. I kind of, my kind of life mantra, everything happens for a reason, and I wouldn't have got to Richmond if it wasn't for my experience at Queens. So I met um, Coach Marty Beal working at a Duke soccer camp while I was at Queens, and I kind of got in Involved with that very, very lucky situation. Um, a player should kind of just showed up on my doorstep at Queens named Cody Newman, an awesome kid. She was an all-American at Duke. She kind of fell ill and and transferred out and came back. She was from Queens, New York, and tried to play soccer again. And the kid was older than me. She was, I think, 26 at the time. And here I was trying to be her coach at 23, 24. And we just hit it off she would be in the office talking for for days after days and she was like let me let me call Robbie Church let me get you work in a camp she picked up the phone called Robbie and got me working the summer camp that year and that's where I met Marty and when I was looking for jobs after I left Queens I was searching roster after roster and sending emails and I came across Marty again he was at High Point at the time when I had first met him so I didn't know he had left and was at Richmond Um, So when I found the Richmond roster, um, there he was. I was like, I know him. So I'm going to send him an email, sent him an email, asked if he remembered me. Um, He's like, absolutely. (laughs) I don't have any paid positions, but if you want to be my volunteer, you are more than welcome to come down. Two weeks later, I moved down to Richmond. (laughs) So that's how that that worked. A little bit of a, a a jump, um, kind of taking a bit of a risk, but I had some extended family in the area and got to move in with them. And it, it just, made it work. So it was an awesome year with him. Marty is very knowledgeable about a lot of things that I I got to learn.
1: How did that jump to Binghamton happen then?
8: So honestly, I'm very lucky. I got a job right before COVID. I think I got the Binghamton job about three weeks before. I remember going home for a weekend for St. Patrick's Day and being gone for five months um, because COVID just happened. And Just looking for a place that was closer to home, always keeping my eye on the market. Um, Obviously, I have to make money at some point. When I was at Richmond, I was coaching two club teams. I was trying to do individual training. I was working in two restaurants, a lunch shift and a night shift, just to kind of get by. So it was a lot. Um, And then obviously coaching for Richmond, full-time volunteering. Always just looking for that next step to finally try to make some money and that's how I ended up at Binghamton. Kind of met Neil and we hit it off well. It was an awesome place. And it was only three and a half hours from home, which was really important.
1: So I've interviewed Neil before, but I'm gonna have you say his name. The head coach of the Binghamton women's soccer team is Neil.
8: That a chargey.
1: That a chargey. Okay, he's awesome. And then your other assistant coach is Shawnee. Al
8: Altaricio,
1: Alterici. okay, that's not too bad. And Nicole Pacapelli. And then you work with Paul Marco as well with the club team, right?
8: I do, Paul is awesome.
1: What club team? Tell us about that.
8: It's called BC United, uh, Broom County United, which is um, the county that Binghamton is in. I coach the 08s, which are a 14-year-old team. And we're actually in the DPL headed to Florida in a week or two, hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> with uh, COVID. But they're a fun group. It's a it's a different different experience than the college girls, but the kids are great. They're at an age where they just, They love being there. They want to talk to you. They want to socialize. They have so much energy. So you got to try to keep up with their energy. But I have a a really fun team.
1: Nicole, I really admire hard workers. So I can tell that you've worked hard, uh, you know, including that time in Richmond, when you had to do everything possible to, you know, just make sure you had enough money to get by, which is awesome. And now you found a great spot at at Binghamton. Now you're part of this 30 under 30, the convention is in Kansas city. I'm assuming you're going to be there. What are you most looking forward to?
8: I'm definitely most looking forward to being a part of this. I know one other person um, personally, who got 30 under 30, but I'm really excited to meet everyone else. And I think that's the best part of it, right? Our jobs are all about networking and meeting new people and just finding people who have similar interests and not only just coaching, but like I said, I think it's more about the people and building those relationships. And it's just such a small world that we're all kind of just intertwined in. And I think that's the most exciting part of it.
1: And then going back to Paul Marco, it's hard to find somebody more dedicated to the association than Paul. There's a lot of people dedicated to it, but he's right up there as far as somebody that's always there to answer the call from United Soccer Coaches. What has he taught you about the association and why it's so important to your growth?
8: It's funny, Paul, actually, I met him at the convention. It would have been the last one we had in 2019 when I was just kind of interviewing for the job at um, Binghamton, Neil had Paul meet me. And that was the first time. And I I can't even explain to you just his energy and his enthusiasm. I I feel like it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days, like uh, the same level of just dedication and commitment to helping not only his assistants at Binghamton grow, but just helping us young coaches grow and just pops into my office all the time and wants to talk and asks me what I think about this and writes this session down and questions me and challenges me and I think he's just he's just all in and he's just a super committed type of person and I I can't thank him enough like he's he's definitely helped my um, career move forward and has said how important it is to just be a part of United Soccer Coaches and give back.
1: Two more questions for Nicole Pacapelli, another member of our 30 Under 30 class on what is a jam-packed show. You've dedicated your life to soccer. If you weren't a soccer coach, what do you think you would be doing, Nicole?
8: <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know if anyone's asked me that. I probably would be a teacher. I say I'd be a teacher, but I also always say when people ask when I'm done coaching, what do you want to do or... or if you are going to stop coaching. So I think that can tie into it. I'll, I'll probably be an administrator in athletics. I don't want to get out of athletics, being an SWA, being a leader of some sort and just making, making decisions and being in an involved, just the environment of athletics is probably something that I would, I would be doing. I can imagine. So Um, you may
1: have answered my last question because I always ask the crystal ball question. What do you want to be doing in 10 years? Maybe that's it. Or maybe you want, another head coaching job. I don't know.
8: I didn't know. Uh, 10 years is too soon. I think I definitely want to be coaching 10 years from now. Um, I do want to be a head coach again. Um, I'm excited to be able to run my own program. I think I'm very different now at the age of 29 than I was at 23 and taking over my program would be something that I think I'm much more prepared for. Um, So that really excites me and I'm looking forward to that someday soon. But yeah, I think At some point you can't run up and down the field anymore. So I think it would be being an administrator and being a female leader in athletics. I think that's really awesome and it would be really cool.
1: Nicole Pacapelli, a really cool member of our 30 Under 30 class. Want to thank all of our fantastic guests. All of them were wonderful also want to thank Erica Dyer and Bailey Conklin for all of their work. Our producer, Colin Thrash, Jeff Van Dusen, Sean Chevro and the gang at United Soccer Coaches, Steve Veal, Remy Mays, everybody at United Soccer Coaches for each and every one of them. And all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap.
0: Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.